0: I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across MLS, Europe, or wherever else they play their club football. The U.S. MNT has now played two of their three group stage matches in the Gold Cup. Last night, they beat St. Kitts and Nevis 6-0. On today's show, we'll talk through that match, look ahead to their final group stage match against Trinidad and Tobago, and talk about a few of the other teams that have stood out so far in this Gold Cup. To help me today, I've invited John Arnold to join the show. John is the creator of Getting CONCACAFed, a newsletter featuring reported stories, features, and opinion on soccer in North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. He's covered CONCACAF for around a decade. John, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Frank. Good to be here. Yeah, I put around a decade on my little bio and everything because I don't want to feel extremely old realizing that it's been even more than a decade. But uh, here we are rolling along.
0: <laughs> around a decade, I think, works uh, great. Does it
1: make me sound younger? If it, if it doesn't, then I'll take it out. <laughs>
0: I think it puts you at the perfect, the perfect age and experience level. So, John, let's start with the the match last night against St. Kitts and Nevis. What were your biggest takeaways?
1: I think that this was always the way that match was going to go. You know, I was able to speak to the Federation president of St. Kitts and Nevis and one of their players and... I'm relatively familiar with the project that they're putting together which I think is really good and interesting and you know you might say it sounds silly that after a team win- loses 6-0 in a gold cup group match that that they're the model for the region. But in a lot of ways Saint Kitts and Nevis is doing things right. This is a country made up of two islands that has fewer than 50,000 people. You know, we're sitting in Texas. You look at some of the suburbs of Dallas, of Houston, and those suburbs dwarf that population of the country, so if you can imagine trying to make a a star national team from your suburb or whatever uh they probably wouldn't be able to compete with the u s So what does the u s take out of it? I think maybe that's a harder question. The tackle the biggest thing for me is just that they did what they needed to do. You know the gold cup groups are determined in part by goal difference if there's a tie which it seems like there will be if the U.S. does what they should do against Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica does what we all expect them to do against the St. Kitts team that, again, good for them, but are overmatched. So scoring goals and scoring as many as possible was important. I thought the U.S. kind of kept their foot on the gas, especially that you know three-minute, four-minute stretch early where they kind of set the tone for the game. And then, of course, like St. Kitts gets a little more defensive they're a little bit more difficult to break down and the U.S. still able to add a couple goals. So, uh, you know, as far as tactics and players that stood out, etc., it's a difficult one to analyze in that sort of depth. But ultimately, I think the, the kind of headline that you write in big letters is the U.S. got it done. So I think fans should be plenty happy with the game. And ultimately, in a tournament like this, it's more important what comes next.
0: Yeah. I think that's what I was happiest about was that they just took care of business. You know, the U.S. hasn't always done that, you know, in in recent years against some of these CONCACAF opponents. And so they took care of business. They did what they should do. I was happy about that. Let me ask you about a few of the specific players. Uh, The first one is Gianluca Buzio. This is a guy that was on the fringe of uh, making it to the World Cup, or at least it seems. It seemed at one time. He was playing in a lot of qualifying matches. He was getting on the field. Uh, he moved from MLS over to Italy, and then he kind of disappeared from the national team for a long time. Last night, first time back on the field in a while, what did you think of his performance?
1: Yeah, well, not too many bad marks, I don't think. You know, he got into to aggressive spaces that he was able to get into. You know, the opponent allowed him to get into, had to assist. He was clean passing. Other than that, you know, I think the U.S. midfield depth is is impressive. There's a lot of players who can play in those places. So, you know, being in the fringe of the World Cup team is, is actually, I think, probably something to brag about you know obviously he would like to make the team obviously he wants to be in the squad going forward uh but in his first half of action last night he didn't do anything certainly to make me think he shouldn't be in the mix in a way that's what this team is about is finding guys like busio or keeping them in the mix giving them rhythm giving them that national team feel it's a little weird because the we know the full-time manager is going to be greg berhalter and he's not there so in a way you know, maybe you don't have that contact with the manager and understanding of the style that you'd like, but the style is pretty much the same with BJ Callahan being a Greg Berhalter assistant for so long. I was going to say disciple, that makes it sound a little cultish, but, uh, you know, managers often want to play like other managers they've worked with. So I think it's a good experience for Busio for sure. and And U.S. fans should be happy to see him kind of taking advantage of the, the minutes that he gets in this role that maybe he could grow into even more in this tournament and, and who knows going forward
0: yeah he has a real ease to him that I like he just he's out there he just kind of makes it look easy stays calm um last night you know first time I had watched him in a long time I thought he looked a little bit more direct and assertive as well and so I like that.
1: Yeah, it's easy to have that ease about you when you live in Venice and take a uh, gondola to training. But, uh, <laughs> you know, nice nice work if you can get it, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, another player I want to ask you about is Alex Zendejas. Okay, so this is a guy I thought... Um, I was kind of coming in expecting him to be one of the more dominating players for the U.S., a guy I enjoy watching. I think he's an exciting player to watch. You know, he's shown flashes these, these past two games. Um, he hasn't been real productive in terms of like assists or goals. His body language last night I was watching, you know, I, I just sensed some frustration. Didn't look like he was having a good time out there. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of, of his performance so far?
1: I think that there are people, especially US fans that are only English speakers or that that don't follow Ligamekis like need to understand that Zendejas has pressure on him because of the decision that he made and simply by virtue of being an America player. Uh people are watching. People in Mexico are watching. And you know, a lot of them, after he chooses to represent the US instead of Mexico, are rooting for not his downfall necessarily, but they're rooting against him on the international stage. And whatever you make of that, I think that's a reality that conditions what Zendejas will feel during these tournaments. So the Nations League, he didn't play, was part of the squad. It looked like he enjoyed the heck out of those celebrations, and he should. Good for him. He's part of that squad. They won a trophy. Awesome. Now you shift into this tournament where he's being asked to be a leader, and I think last night there was a there was a level of frustration where he clearly wanted a goal. He clearly wanted to have more counting stats. I think he had ended up with an assist, which, you know, good for him. But, you know, ultimately it looked like he was really trying to force something. And he's a player where I think oftentimes not forcing has really – benefited him. When he came to America, there wasn't a huge level of expectation at all. Even though he was formerly a Chivas player, uh, he hadn't really been a standout Liga Mekis star. He'd had some good games, especially on loan with Nicaxa. But, you know, he came in without expectation, came into often a substitute role and and, and would influence and change games. And I think it's a different thing to ask a guy to be the leader to be the guy to be a creative force in a lot of ways because he is the most experienced player on this team when you look at you know the the roster club career is one of the most standouts sure he's not playing in europe like like busio like brian reynolds but you'd say america is probably better than the clubs that those guys are playing in. at least i think so maybe i'm biased because i i watch and cover mexican football but I think ultimately uh, you saw last night a guy who maybe was forcing it. And and if I'm the coaching staff, I say, hey, man, no, we don't need that from you. We need you to do what you know how to do. So I would expect, and and he knows that he's a veteran player, you know, has played in all sorts of these clubs and has that pressure. I think mentally he just needs to make sure he's in a place where he feels like he can play free. So uh, that's what I would want to see out of him in games going forward. If I'm the coaching staff, I sort of give him that confidence and make sure he's in the starting lineup next game. If he's still not getting you know still not getting what you want out of him, maybe you start to, to shift. But I think in this gold cup, kind of hell or high water, he's the guy you have to have on the field.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I want to keep seeing him out here. I hopefully he'll find that freedom because uh when he does, man, he's he's fun to watch. So let's look ahead to Sunday. Uh, Group A has their final match day window on Sunday. As we currently stand, the U.S. and Jamaica are atop the group with four points. Trinidad and Tobago have three, and St. Kitts has zero. The U.S. plays Trinidad. Jamaica plays St. Kitts and Nevis. Looks like it's going to come down to goal differential. Both of them are going to be heavily favored to win. How do you see that final match day playing out in Group A?
1: In some ways... It kind of depends on what Trinidad and Tobago we get, I think. I don't think they're as good as they looked in the second half against St. Kitts and Nevis. I don't think they're as bad as they looked in the first half against Jamaica. But this isn't the strongest Trinidad and Tobago team we've seen in in quite some time. There are some standout players that the U.S. is going to have to watch out for. But ultimately, the U.S. should beat Trinidad and Tobago. But... (laughs) We said that in 2017 uh, for 2018 World Cup qualification and it didn't happen. Now, of course, there were so many different factors and this is a different U.S. team, but it's a depth U.S. team. And it's one of the better squads that that Trinidad and Tobago can put together. So I I think, yes, the U.S. should win and they probably should win by multiple goals. But Trinidad and Tobago being a team that does have talented players and, and has been together for some time makes it a little trickier than if you're in Jamaica's position where you say, well, stick a guy with a phone behind the bench, he looks at the U S score and tells you how many goals you need. It's not going to be that easy because we know we saw last night Saint Kitts and Nevis, you know, Archibald and goal and a couple of the defenders, like they're not just rolling over and, and letting the other teams do whatever they want, but there's going to be a quality gap there. So, um, I think in a lot of ways, Jamaica is in a bit of an advantageous position, but at the same time, I wouldn't expect them to score, you know, so I don't think it's going to be 10 nil. Right. So, you know, I, I think the picture is there. The panorama is there and all the U S can do once the whistle blows on Sunday is try and beat Trinidad and Tobago and do it by as many goals as possible. The other thing that I would mention, Frank, yeah, you want to win the group, but it's possible that coming out of group D. Canada could finish as the runner-up in that group. So you might win the group and still get Canada, who I think everyone wants to avoid. We don't know. Obviously, there's only been one game, but Canada drew with Guadeloupe at home in Toronto. Uh, so that group is a bit of a, of a chaotic scene, and it's possible that Guadeloupe wins the group, and it's possible that Guatemala wins the group, and Cuba could still win the group too. So I think, you know, in, in a way, you want to win the group, you want to win every game, and you want to win it big. But, you know, kind of the, the game theory and all that stuff might – be overthinking it
0: yeah yeah it's gonna be fun to watch both those games kind of simultaneously and um yeah you never know there could be some surprises sometimes jamaica comes out a little inconsistent sometimes you know like you said u.s has had had some bad moments against trinidad in the past um but that's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch those two games on sunday starting lineup wise would you change much for the u.s versus what they did against uh St. Kitts and Nevis?
1: I probably do a little bit of rotation. I think, you know, in this kind of tournament you want to keep everyone fresh. Uh, I think that specifically I'm I'm a little I don't know about puzzled, but like I probably would try out something different in the middle of midfield. You didn't really need to to worry about it that much against St. Kitts and Nevis, but I, I wonder if that's an area where where BJ Callahan might have a look that being said you know maybe not Sands started against Jamaica and I thought had an okay night in comparison to Morris next to him he had a fantastic night because Morris didn't really look up to the level to be honest Um, so I, I think we'll probably see Turner go back into goal because Trinidad and Tobago is a team with threats You know, when you look at what Levi Garcia specifically can do and how well how good of a finisher he is I think that you might want to have your first choice goalkeeper back in. I'm not sure what they've worked out as far as the rotation and, and what it took to get Sean Johnson to camp, et cetera. And, you know, uh, Jones and Reynolds had really good nights at fullback, but they didn't have to play defense. So I wonder if if someone comes back in uh, at left back. The other thing that I might do, I guess I guess what I'm alluding to with Sands is like, I like the experience of Christian Mulden. I like how versatile he is as a player. But again, I think it kind of comes down to matchups ups and, and what you're looking for. The other one, maybe you want to ask me, would I start Brandon Vasquez over Jesus Ferreira? Maybe. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Ferreira just had a hat trick. Yeah. He sets up goals. He does things that are... that are he, Those intangibles he does so well. And I guess like when you're thinking about this lineup, you're also thinking about the the knockout stage and who would you start in the quarterfinals, and the semifinals. And to me, you just want to have as fresh a team as possible. Uh, ahead of those games, you're going to get a little break, so you don't need to worry too much about rotation. I think that the quarterfinals are the U.S. would play on s- the next Sunday, so you got almost a full—you have exactly a full week. So maybe you don't need to worry about it. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking things now. <laughs> yeah,
0: rolled on is somebody who um he has seemed to provide a burst of energy when he's come on the field the last couple couple of games. So he's he's an interesting one. Let's move on, though. Um, lots of other teams at this Gold Cup, of course, other than uh, the US. I wanted to hear from you about a couple of teams that maybe have surprised you so far in, in, a, in a good and, and, and bad way. So who's a team so far that's kind of exceeded your expectations and uh, maybe one that's underwhelmed that's you?
1: It's impossible to say this without sounding like a bit of a jerk. I haven't really been surprised by by anything, but I think that when you look at kind of the narratives that are going around this tournament, uh, well, Waterloo was a surprise that they were get, able to get a point off Canada. It's a good team. They have players based in Europe. They have players, you know, after the the uh, match, Waterloo's manager said that, he thinks that people and opposing coaches need to go on the internet and look at these players' backgrounds. And I think he's right. You know, you pull up a Wikipedia page for Thierry Ambrose, the forward for Guadeloupe, and it's like, not only is he playing regularly in, the, in Belgium, which is not the top league in the world, but in the top 10 probably, uh, he came up through the Manchester City system. You've got guys who are actively playing in league, league O oh, like this is a team that has players based in top European teams. And and I think to just dismiss them as a tiny, tiny non-FIFA member, which they are, um, is missing the point just a little bit. So I think Guadeloupe has been a pleasant surprise. And to that effect, Martinique beating El Salvador, I thought that they would definitely compete. I think El Salvador looked exhausted. They had really good preparation matches uh, against Japan and Korea. Those are great opponents. But that's a long, long, long trip to go from Asia to South Florida. So I think that they'll probably get better as this group stage goes on. They need to, or else uh, they're probably going to have to make some changes. So uh, I think maybe El Salvador is a big disappointment. Costa Rica, look, they've been disappointing since they made the FIFA World Cup. Since they qualified for the tournament, they've been poor, except for one magical game that that Kaylor Navas, I think, was a huge key for Navas is injured. He's not in this Gold Cup. And what do you, what do, you do? Like, what do they have? They clearly need to, to move on from Luis Fernando Suarez. There's players who's frozen out that would help them immensely. There's players who I think he keeps calling in who maybe need to get a nice testimonial, who've had amazing careers and, and need to step aside. So I, I, I'm not surprised. I wish I could say I was surprised that Costa Rica continues to fall from their spot as the third best, now fourth best, maybe fifth or sixth best CONCACAF nation, and they continue to slide. But I'm not. This is kind of to be expected. So uh, the French-speaking non-FIFA members are my pleasant surprises, and I guess my traditional Central American powers are my unpleasant.
0: All right. Well, John... Before I let you go, any final thoughts on the Gold Cup? And then I'd love to hear just, you know, where can people find you, uh, learn more about you uh, if they'd like to after the show?
1: Yeah, I think final thoughts is that I I predicted and and spoke with some folks about the the idea that St. Kitts and Nevis, I thought, was going to suffer some difficult games. But otherwise, we haven't seen blowouts. You know, I think in the Gold Cup group stage in the past, you say, these teams are not good. These teams don't belong here. And there have been some games that haven't been amazing to watch. Guatemala, Cuba, man, that was just like a bruising physical game and what looked like a pretty hot night in Fort Lauderdale. But ultimately, I think like what I would say is my overall takeaway is that this tournament is fun. It's good right now. The level of competition is being raised. Why? A lot of it is because of the CONCACAF Nations League. People want to complain about the Nations League. US fans, who I think are the majority of your audience, Frank, like might not enjoy it for what the US has to do. But yeah, blowing on Grenada doesn't help. But Haiti playing games every FIFA international window, and St. Kitts and Nevis playing these games every window, and Guadeloupe and Marnique having a reason to bring their squad together despite not being part of FIFA World Cup qualification, all of that stuff is helping to raise the level of the region. And when the level of the region increases, the teams at the top are going to benefit too. And eventually, in five, ten years, it won't be unhelpful to play Grenada or St. Kitts and Nevis or some of these other teams because they're going to be better. And ultimately, I think we're still in the stage in CONCACAF where a rising tide is going to lift all boats. So I think the overall takeaway for the tournament so far is it's been competitive, which it should be. But it hasn't always been, and so I think that's something to really highlight and take away. If you vibe with that, my newsletter is called Getting Concacaf. You can check it out at stack.com, or you can just Google Getting Concacaf. And I'm still on Twitter, despite it all. I'm at Arnold, comma John. Spell out, comma no H in John, and that's where I post all my stuff. So links to the newsletter for sure, but also it's been cool to cover the tournament for a couple of different major outlets around around the US, around the world. So you can kind of stay, I was going to say LinkedIn, but that's a different social media network. You can stay in the loop with the uh, stuff I'm I'm doing on on Twitter. Thank you, John. Hey, my pleasure, Frank. Thanks for having me, man.
0: And thanks to everyone for listening to Here and Abroad. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a fellow USMNT fan. I'm Frank Garza, and I'll be back next week with a new episode.